This week I'm going to deal with just God just taking our life out of ruins. And next week I'm going to deal with uh, broken relationships. And then the last Sunday of the month, just a precursor, I'm going to deal with the sexual damage that's happened to people in this world and people in life uh, because of poor decisions. But all of it is designed to show us how God can restore us. So four weeks of that. Also, we have fasting and prayer going on. I appreciate everyone that's involved in that. 21 days. Of you, you, there's a fasting guide out front, and there's some here. You determine the best way that, that uh, you believe that you can give, give over time or sacrifice something where you can give that time to prayer and seeking God. And we're trusting the Lord to do some great things. That's happening during this uh, 20, this uh, reset series. You also got the reset invite cards, and hopefully you are inviting people to the house of the Lord every week. They're going to be blessed. And, uh, and then what's going to happen on the one of the, it's, if it's not next Sunday, the following Sunday, uh, we're going to make an offer of these reset books because this is what I want to do. This is a book by Bob Sorg. It's only 90 pages. It's designed to help us go deeper. It's 20-day um, reading uh, slight devotional type deal just to encourage us to go a little bit deeper in our, in our prayers because even after the fast is up, I want us to continue to pursue praying. Some people are already committed to extending the fast a little longer. We're working toward a reset, uh, what we're calling a reset leadership weekend that will be on the third weekend of February. We got some amazing uh, men and women of God that are coming that will be with us on Friday night, Saturday, and Sunday morning. Uh, Pastor Dick and Roxy Iverson from uh, 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 Portland, Oregon. My pastor, Dave Patterson, will be here. Steve Williams from Albuquerque will be here. Charlie Sweet, who's a a pastor and also an anointed uh, prophetic man of God. It'll be a time of, of learning. Uh, teaching, but also prophetic ministry each one of the days. And many of you have been in our leadership weekends where there's been prophecy, uh, prophecy over people. It's going to be a whole weekend of that. And so I want you to prepare your hearts and minds. It's open to everyone. Come. We're going to have a great, great time. I want to I put a prophecy on the screen that was uh, declared over CTC. This is November, November 7th. The gentleman actually that's coming one of the prophetic uh, ministers that's coming is a gentleman by the name of Charlie Sweet. And uh, Charlie sent me this message in, no, in November. Do we have that? L- listen to what the Lord was saying. It starts out, Pastor Tyrone, I was praying for you this morning. Here's what the Lord was speaking to me, that there's a large glory cloud over your church and cities, that worship will go deeper and the healing rains of the Holy Spirit are going to pour down on the musicians and all who will come to the altar to give, give their life to him, Christ our King, all the glory. When it rains in the natural, you can smell the sweetness of the ground. As it rains on the hearts of your people and cities, a sweetness of his love and grace will abound and revival will break out. Pray and intercede with passion and expectation. The manifest hand of God is about to fall on you and you will see the manifestation of his spirit come alive in people and it will flow to all the nations that you have influence with. Get ready, run through the camp and tell everyone, get ready, the rains are coming. Come on, come on. So we're, we're expecting, we're anticipating, we're trusting God to do some awesome things. So this is 21 days of fast, and then we're going to go through another 20 days of intense praying leading right up to that weekend, and we're going to believe God to do some great and awesome things. Amen? All right, Luke chapter 4. Going to talk about Jesus. 
and see what we can learn from him. Don't think the clock in the back is working, so that means I got all day. All right, Luke chapter 4. want to read verses 16 through 21. It says, And he came to Nazareth, where had been, he had been brought up, and as was his custom, he went to the synagogue, and on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him, and he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he stopped there, even though he pulled that from the book of Isaiah chapter 61 in our notation, and there's another sentence to that that Jesus left off, which I'll address in a moment. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. I want to talk about life as it's meant to be. Now, I've, I've been serving the Lord long enough to know that being a Christian sometimes means that we're a little weird. We're a little weird. We're, we're odd. It doesn't mean that we, you know, dance with snakes, not that kind of weird, but, but weird in, in, in the sense if you, if you follow Jesus and you o- obey him, uh, the world the world will think that we're kind of odd ducks, that we're a little bit strange, that we're, uh, that, we're not, that we're not normal. Some may even think that we're a little bit unstable. And, and when you think about it, there's not really a lot that's normal about people who have a desire and pursue to live a life that's free of sin and pride and sexual lust and ambitions. That's that's counter to what the world's culture and what the world accepts. It's not normal uh, that people who give their life to Christ want to give away a good portion of their income to the poor and to the needy and to the work of the ministry. It's not normal for people to forgive their enemies and want to do good to people who do them wrong and want to pray for them and want to love them. It's not, it's not normal for people to stake their hopes in someone who lived on earth who we never met, who died, we never met him, was buried for three days, and we believe the story that he rose again, and we never met him, and we stake all of our hopes upon him. We're not necessarily considered normal. As a matter of fact, the the very foundational stuff of what we believe when it comes to the gospel and when it comes to the preaching of the cross, to most people, it seems ridiculous. We know that the gospel is the power of God. We know that it is. We we know that the gospel helps us to affront our own self-righteousness. 
It's because of the gospel that we can be honest with ourselves and say that we are people that can be wicked and are unholy and we cannot earn our way to God who is right and who is holy. It's it's abnormal. As a matter of fact, the scripture says to many people, it's foolishness for us to believe that there is such a power in God. The scripture says this, that the Jews thought it was a scandal. Muslims nowadays, if you talk to them, they'll think we're insane to believe in a crucified Lord. Atheists just think we're just stupid, if I can just be honest. But for those of us who know the gospel, we realize that there is such a power in the preaching of the cross that for us it's undeniable to believe in him. But it's not just that, really, that makes us weird. Another thing that makes us weird is we want to tell people that there's things in life that can really jack them up, that there's trappings out there, there's sabotages, there's things that can happen in their life that can actually ruin their life. We get it, and and some people may consider it arrogant, but it's just a fact. Biblically and from experience, we know that there is a great God that created us, a God who has a good, good, and perfect plan for our life. But we also know that there's an enemy out there. There's a devil. There's Satan. And he comes, the scripture says, to kill, steal, and destroy. That's his mission. That's what he comes to do. And so we, the abnormal people, want to tell normal people, if you keep living life the way you're living it, in all of your normality, you're heading to destruction. You're heading to ruin. You're heading to a place of perishing. And so we're the weird ones who's trying to tell the normal ones that you want to watch out for the things in life that are not intended for you by God. And, but we become the ones, because even though we do that and it happens, people still have a tendency to want to avoid Christians. Kids rise up, and even us, we grow up wanting to not listen to our weird Christian parents. We live life, and we go to school, and we, we avoid the strange guy or the strange girl who sits by themselves at lunchtime reading their Bible, waiting for somebody to come talk to them, but we avoid him. We, we want to avoid the colleague at work who every time he gets a chance, he's trying to invite us to his church. We want to avoid those folks. We give up our friends who actually have given their life to Christ because all of a sudden they become fanatics and Jesus freaks. And we don't want to be around people that are abnormal, that are normal, abnormal, sorry. But all along in the meantime, we make choices that are absolutely destructive. We make decisions to the point that we carve out a path in life that's almost like a rut that we cannot get out of. And it leads us to pain. It leads us to hurt. It leads us to despair. It leads us to degradation because we're avoiding the abnormal people. 
And so we carve out these paths in life where if I can just be honest, we end up jacked up. We get totally depraved. We get twisted. We get twisted in our thinking. We get twisted in our behavior. We get twisted in our attitudes and our mindsets. Everything about us becomes futile thinking, depraved, messed up, get jacked up financially, spiritually, emotionally, mentally, sexually, you, you name it. We get messed up. But none of us had an intention for that to happen. As a matter of fact, I don't know if I know of anybody who doesn't celebrate the birth of a child. Even if the child came in, in a situation where it was out of wedlock, we still celebrate the life of the child. And when you hold that child or you behold that child, sometimes we even start to see what we want to see for them in their future. We, we hold them and we're, we're thinking about hopes and dreams that we're hoping for that child in this life. We may envision them already riding a bike with training wheels as they're learning how to ride that bike. We already envision them getting happy. I was, I was uh, last night when Mila was at the house, every time she, now she, she can destroy the house in minutes, but she's very good if you say, Mila, put that back. Mila, put that back. She'll start putting back stuff. And then when she does stuff, I'll say, good girl, Mila. And she'll just, when I say, good girl, good girl, she'll go, yeah, yeah, and just get happy. You envision them getting happy when you tell them how proud of them you are. You go as far maybe to envision them on a court or on a football field as life goes on. You envision them driving. Sometimes that's a nightmare, but you envision them driving or going to the prom or sitting in front of you, introducing you to someone who's their prospective mate or envision them some days coming alongside you. When Jermaine was younger, my grandma used to ask him, Jermaine, what are you going to do when you grow up? And he would always run and get my shoes and get in my shoes. And he would come walking with my shoes on. You envision those kind of things. And then for these very children who we all were at one time, for some reason or another, those hopes and those dreams get sabotaged. Life happens. Decisions are made. Choices are made. And instead of life becoming what we envisioned or what we dreamed or what we hoped for, it begins to be a path of destruction. To the point sometimes where people feel like their life has gotten so tattered that they're helpless and they're hopeless. And even sometimes in the judgment mindset of men and people, they look upon people and they just say that their life is ruined. They're done. They're written off. But I got good news for you. It's never over. Life is never ruined. It's never over. As long as people have blood flowing in their veins, there is a God, there is a Lord who can reset our life, who can put us back on track. And that's actually the big idea of this message is that Jesus has come to reset your life. No matter what you've experienced, you can get out of the ruins and have a life of restoration today. It can happen today. You know, I experienced something for the first time when I came home from Greece and Sweden. It was, it was different coming home. Obviously, from this trip, different than any other ministry trip or any other vacation, 
On the one hand, I, I was never gone for, even though I've been gone for maybe 24, 25 days out of a month, never gone 16 days in a row. So that was kind of different coming home after 16 days. It was also different coming home from a honeymoon, obviously. But it was also different coming home and knowing this time when I came into the house, I'm not coming in by myself and I'm not staying by myself. It was, it was different. And Jesus experienced that here in this passage. He's 30 years old now, and he has just began his ministry at the age of 30. And there's something to that, but we'll leave that be for another time. But at this age, at this time, this year, this season, Jesus goes to be baptized by John the Baptist. It was there that the word was declared over him from the Father in heaven that this is my son, my beloved son, in whom I'm well pleased. Then the scripture says he was driven into the wilderness for 40 days for a time of fasting and also a time to be tested by Satan. After that 40 days, the scripture says he joined his family. This is in John 2 now. He joined his family in Cana and worked the first miracle. From then on, the, the ministry was on. He'd done some other things uh, there in Cana, also done some things in Capernaum. He raised a nobleman's son, and then he goes home. So he's been baptized. He's had the declaration from the Father in heaven. He's experienced 40 days of fasting and testing by Satan. He's done some miracles. He's done some healing in Capernaum, and now he goes back home. It was a different feeling now because now the anointing is up on him. Now the ministry that he came to do is up on him. So he comes home differently. And the scripture says when he returned to Galilee, he was filled with the Holy Spirit's power. Reports had already spread that Jesus was doing some stuff in a whole nother, in the, in the region. And he was going from synagogue to synagogue proclaiming the word of the Lord. And he was being praised by people. But now he's coming to his own village. Now he's coming to Nazareth, where the scripture says is his boyhood home. And just as normal, like he did every place he went, he went into the synagogue. Now, there's a couple of things, if I can just take a side note about that. You know, we're living in a culture nowadays where, honestly, if I can just be honest, if I can be the pastor and, and uh, yeah, if I can just, just get in your Kool-Aid for a minute. We're living we live in, in a time now where people use coming to church as a convenience at best. Many in this culture now, the average person that's a Christian goes to church only two times out of a, of a month of four weeks. The average Christian. Look at your neighbor and say, that's not me. That's not me. That's not me. And, and, and Jesus had a pattern that I think is good for everyone. He did this on the Sabbath day. Now, you know as well as I do that we, we worship the Lord every single day. We don't just have the Sabbath day. But can I tell you something? It's good to go to church. It's good to go to church. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm so glad you're here. And I want to see you next week. It's good to go to church. And so Jesus goes to the synagogue. Now, let me tell you a little bit about the synagogue. It was a place where, where they would gather. It was separate from the temple in and of itself, but it was a place where they would gather. And what they would do, they would learn about worship of God. They would learn about hearing the word of God. There was someone that was administrative that would set things up. 
They'd have prayers that was given a sign to people to read. They've had scripture readings that was assigned to people to read. And, and then they would give, uh, there would be prayer, scripture reading, some worship, some singing of hymns. And then someone that was mm, maybe um, a noted sage is what a lot of the commentators call them. But someone who's noted to be able to expound on the word would be the one that that was not necessarily set up. The administrator over the synagogue can determine service after service who that's going to be. Who is going to be among them that's going to be reading the scripture and expanding on the sermon. In this particular case, Jesus was not necessarily a visitor in, in his own home, but he hadn't been there, uh, hadn't been there since the annunciation of the Lord, hadn't been there since they had got word that he was out doing healings, etc. So Jesus was considered a visiting minister per se. So after all the prayers is done and after the reading is done and after they sing the hymns, the administrator gives the book, the, the scroll to Jesus to read. And he gives him the scroll of Isaiah. The scripture says that Jesus stands up to read the scroll, but he searched for a particular place to read until he got to what we know as Isaiah 61. And I'm going to read it to you again. It says, the spirit of the Lord God, and this is from Isaiah, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of prison, of the prison to those who are bound to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, the passage that he had in Isaiah 61 verse 2, it goes on to say, and the day of vengeance of our God and to comfort all who mourn. But Jesus stopped at to proclaim the year's favor. He stopped there. The scripture says he handed the scroll back to the attendant and then he sat down. Now what they would do then, whoever read the scriptures would stand to read. But when he gave the message from the scripture, he would sit down. So Jesus gives him the scroll, he sits down. And he begins to share some things from this passage. And I'm sure what Jesus explains to them is a reiteration of what they already heard. They knew that it was a messianic passage. And Jesus explained to them that when the Messiah comes, he is going to be anointed by the Spirit. And that when the Messiah comes, the Spirit of God was going to be upon him. And he's going to come proclaiming good news to us. We're going to hear from the Messiah. He's going to let us know that there's good news. Now, mind you, the Jewish people are still under a bondage from the Romans. They're not free yet. Messiah has not come according to them. They're still looking for the Messiah. They're believing there's a time when he's going to come and liberate them. So Jesus tells them, listen, this is what, this is what the Messiah is going to look like. He's going to be anointed. The Spirit of God is going to be upon him. He's going to be preaching good news. He's going to be coming, giving a good message to the poor. Poor on the one hand, that might have been economic condition, but also poor in, in spirit, humble before the Lord. He's going to come and he's going to proclaim the freedom of all of us that are prisoners. He's going to come declaring this. And it, yes, it means healings and it means exorcisms, but also it meant the forgiveness of sins. The Messiah is going to come and he's going to proclaim liberty and freedom from our bondages. 
that the sight of us that are blind will be recovered. Yes, literal sight for some, as we know that Jesus did, but also uh, metaphorically a spiritual blindness. That all of that's going to be done away with, that we're going to be released from our oppression. Jesus is sharing all this with them. And the scripture goes on to say they were amazed at what, how he was talking. They liked what he said. But then Jesus said this, this that you're hearing, because he said the Lord's favor is coming also, which they knew to be jubilee. Like the 50 years there in, in Jerusalem, every 50 years or in Israel, everybody was set free. No more debt. If you owed people, you didn't have to pay them. That was all released. Those of you that lost property, you could go back and get your property. Everything was restored financially. He says all of this is going to happen when the Messiah comes. They loved it. It's a great message. Of course, they love to hear what the Messiah, that the Messiah is coming. But then Jesus says to them, now what you're hearing is happening right now. Now that got them. That got them because they understood what Jesus is saying. You see, they knew that there was a Messiah coming. They knew that all of these things that Jesus was proclaiming about good news and and people being liberated and people being set free, they knew all that was going to happen. But did we just hear Joseph's son say it's happening now? Did we just hear this boy come into our hometown and tell us who've been studying this for years and he'd been running off doing someone, as a matter of fact, he might even be illegitimate. Did we hear him say that all of this through the Messiah is now happening to him, through him, that got them upset. As a matter of fact, the scripture says they rose up with wrath because Jesus indeed say, yes, I'm basically here telling you that I'm the Messiah. Now, they could have ran up, they could have got out of the synagogue and say, well, before we just deny him, let's go see. Let's just go out of the synagogue and see if we see an army coming. Let's see if he's got an army with him. Somebody lift up the carts and see if he's got RPGs and assault rifles in a cart. Let's see if he's bringing ships of gold. Because in their thinking, the Messiah is coming to liberate them from the things that caused them bondage through the Romans. They had no anticipation that there could be a man that would come that could liberate their soul. As a matter of fact, their hopes, which is the hopes of a whole lot of normal people in the world, is just to get free financially, liberated politically, set free from the things that they got to deal with on the earth, and miss the whole mission of the Lord Jesus Christ, which is to set our mind free, our heart free, and our soul free, which is real liberation. Can you say amen? Jesus didn't come in to do any of that. As a matter of fact, they missed the most important moments. They missed the voice from heaven. They missed him declaring the power of the Spirit. They missed him talking about the victory that comes in the cross. They missed the shed blood of forgiveness that Jesus declared he would do. They missed all that. And all they saw was a man who they thought couldn't do anything for him. And let me tell you something, church, and I pray this is not you. It's a whole lot of folks still missing the message of Jesus. 
they're still missing the message of Jesus. They're still waiting for some kind of victory, some kind of liberation, something spectacular or fantastic in their life that's going to make life better when every one of us needs to be set free in our soul. Am I talking to the right church? And that's what Jesus came to do, to absolutely reset our life. Reset the life of the child that you held in your hand who's in all kind of bondage and all kind of addictions and strapped with all kind of things on his heart and mind. That Jesus came to set that child free. And maybe not even that child. Maybe some of you sitting right in here that's still fighting things in your life, trying to get overcome with things and thinking that you can't do it. You're helpless and you're hopeless. I got good news for you. The Messiah has come. Jesus Christ has come to reset our lives. He is not just a herald of salvation. He's the bringer of salvation. Can you say amen? I want you, uh, are we ready for a video? I want, to, I want you to show a video of one of our dear sisters in the church and let her tell you just a little bit of her story. I'm so thankful and so absolutely overwhelmed with gratitude to be able to come and share my testimony with you, my story of grace, what Jesus has done in my life. Um, I come from a place of, of total brokenness. I used to be a shattered shell of a woman. I was born and raised in the Las Vegas area, and of course, Sin City, you can probably use your imagination there. Um, my mom... Uh, married my dad when she was still in high school, and um, he died after they were married just about a year and a half. And she didn't even find out she was pregnant with me till after his funeral. So um, you can imagine the place of brokenness that I come from, what my own mother had to deal with. And as a result of that, mostly my grandparents raised me, and I jumped from home to home, back and forth between their house to my mom's house. And never really feeling I had a place to belong. Uh, being raised with a sense of not belonging and brokenness. And the way that I coped with that, the way that I learned to deal with that, was through a series of addictions and self-destructive behavior. At the age of 12, I, I learned that alcohol made a lot of pain go away, and it made a lot of stuff in my head shut up. And so from a very early age, I became... An alcoholic and then went on to be a drug addict and through just a series of horrible choices spiraled down even further to the depths of a pit that I still can't believe that Jesus pulled me out of. Um, I had become so addicted to alcohol that I would physically shake if I didn't drink every 15 minutes. Uh, it was a, a prison that I can, I can hardly describe to you. The, the withdrawals and the detox and the, the absolute bondage and chains that I lived in were hell on earth for me. I was, I was almost 40 years old when I had, I had gone through a series of going to rehabs and programs and promising I would get everything right when I finally got it through my head that I was, I was, I was not going to be able to go on like that anymore. 
I had lost everything. I had lost my family. I lost my children. I lost my home, everything I had known. And at a point of either death or surrender, I came to New Creations Women's Home in El Centro. I had nothing left. I remember going through those gates telling God, change me or kill me because I can't live like this anymore. And I know that there was power in that surrender. I know that his power is made perfect in our weakness. And so I went into that women's home surrendering everything I had to him, giving up anything I thought that I could do to fix anything, anything I thought I knew. I laid it all down. And he came into my life. Jesus overwhelmed me with grace and mercy like you cannot believe. I deserved nothing but hell. And instead, I received a crown. He took absolute ashes and turned them to beauty. I got my life back. And not even the old life that, that people would think. I just, I just want my old life back. I got bigger and better than I ever imagined. You guys, you know that I'm married to Lauren now. And, and I'm a member of this congregation. And, and I love every one of you. And I have an amazing life now. Obviously, I got my daughter back. I got my family back. I got my health back. Um, I can function again. And I have hope that I've never had before. And I get to be an absolute example of his restoration, his ministry of reconciliation that he's given us. His grace and his glory have been poured out on my life. And so when I think of ashes to beauty, it just describes me. And so I'm so thankful for what he's done in me for the life that he's placed before me, for the plan that he has for me that I can see coming to fruition more and more every day. Thank you for letting me share. Jesus is so good. Amen. Look at that picture. Look at that picture. From who she was to what God has made her. Awesome story. The team is going to come. I'm going to wrap this up. And there with... Jackie said, she said so much. She actually spoke right into the passage that I was going to wrap up with, which is Isaiah 61. Because, I, you, you know, I told you, my grandfather used to always say this term to me. He said, when it comes to serving Jesus, it just gets gooder and gooder. I mean, gooder and gooder. Because not only does Isaiah 61, which is a passage that Jesus pulled from, not only does it tell us that God will heal our broken hearts and that God will set us free and God would liberate us, but it does absolutely say that he'll give us a crown of beauty instead of ashes. He doesn't just set our life back in order and reset us, but he glorifies us. He gives us a festive of praise, the scripture says, a garment of praise in our life. But then it says this in verse number four, actually. It says, in our righteousness, we'll stand like oaks of the Lord planted in his glory. So in other words, he takes us from the ruins and we stand strong like oaks 
folks. Only the Lord can do that. But can I tell you how much gooder and gooder it gets? Because this is what it says. The very same people that God liberates and sets free, the verse goes on to say that we will rebuild the ancient ruins. We get to go back to the same families, same places, same people where we abused and messed up and jacked up and declare to them, look at the glory of God in our life. And it's not just for us, even cities. Somebody say cities. And we ain't just talking about Yuma. We talking Yuma. We talking Gaston. We talking Somerton. We talking San Luis. We talking a region where we believe the glory of God will help us touch people's lives. It talks about calling us the priests of the Lord and ministers of our God and giving us double portions and everlasting joy. But then I love this. It says, even everyone will realize that they are the people that the Lord has blessed. Come on, somebody. They'll realize you cannot look at Jackie from before and after and say, and can't say nothing else, but it had to be the Lord that done that. That's what Jesus was telling him in Luke chapter 4. He said, y'all waiting for something. I'm telling you, it's right now. Some of you might be waiting for something. I'm telling you, it's right now. You don't have to wait for next week. You don't have to wait for next year. The Jesus I serve died on the cross, forgave you of your sins, wiped your slate clean. Today, you can start a new life with him. A total reset. A total reset in life by the almighty God. Listen to this last verse. Prayer team, you can come. You can actually stand. You can actually stand. If you need to get saved, you can just run on up here. We'll get you saved real quick. But listen to, listen to this. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse number 1. And I want you to hear this. If the Holy Spirit is dealing with you, and you know it, you know it, you know right now after hearing this message, the Spirit of the Lord is drawing you to Him. You know if you're trying to fight through something, if you're trying to convince, your, convince yourself, maybe not today, maybe not for, for me, you'll know it. But listen to what the Spirit of the Lord says. As God's partners, we beg you not to accept this marvelous gift of God's kindness and then ignore it. Did y'all hear that? God's marvelous gift of kindness and then ignore it. For God says, at just the right time, I heard you. On the day of salvation, I helped you. Now, I don't know about you, but I can tell you, I know the day when I cried out to the Lord and he helped me. I know the day when I sought him and he came to help me. Listen to this. Indeed, right time is now. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day. You don't have to wait another day for liberation. Now, maybe you may say, you know, Pastor, I'm, I've already given my life to Christ. It's not that I don't believe in him as Savior. But can I tell you something? If you're still walking through some addictions and you're still walking through some fears and some bondages, you, there's still liberty that Christ can give you. And let me tell you one other thing about CTC. This is a safe place. This is a safe place. It ain't a place where you got to be afraid and be ashamed. As a matter of fact, I can, I can bring tons of people up on this stage who can tell you some of the things. When you hear their story, you think, man, nobody can go through a worse thing than that. Then you hear the next one's story. And then you hear the next one's story. And then guess what? Then you hear mine, who's a chief of sinners. And every one of these stories is the same ending. Jesus Christ has set us free. Same ending. Same ending. And so I'm here to tell you, today is your day, whatever it is. People will pray for you. People will love on you. 
No reason to be ashamed. I want you to be free. I want you to be liberated. Don't be like those Jews that heard Jesus and said, no, this dude is out of his mind. He ain't the right one, and this ain't the right time. I got news for you. He is the right one, and this is the right time. He is the right one, and he, this is the right time. So whatever the need is, the altars are going to be open. You may need to be healed. You may need to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Maybe you've been saved and haven't been baptized. Maybe you're walking in bondage. You're walking in fear. You're walking in anxiety. You're walking in addictions. Don't matter to us what it is. Same Jesus, able to do all things, and we believe his power. Amen? Father, I thank you for the opportunity we have just to declare who your son is. Jesus is amazing. He's awesome. We heard a great testimony from Jackie. We read a great story in the Bible of Jesus liberating people. And Father, we want that story to be our story. And we're believing you, Lord God, to do great things. In the life of people who come today, whatever the issue is, you're able to deliver and set free. And Father, we thank you for it in Jesus' name.